father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Hello, and welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopedia podcast, where you waste time on fictional wikis. My name is Ryan. And my name is Joanna. And I'm wrecked. Riggedy riggedy wrecked? Why? Not wrecked as in drunk. Wrecked as in, I worked a 12-hour day. I'm really tired. The big boss came over from Japan. I had to interpret for him. And I couldn't understand what he was talking about. And and I, I mixed up the words for injection molding and design. And he chuckled at me. And I wanted to crawl in a hole and die. When did the elves come in? <laughs> elves came in. Now is, it, now is this why we didn't very put, different job. Is this why we didn't put an episode up last weekend? No, why we well yeah, it's sort of It is, yes it is, no. it is why. Yes it is why. No. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I'm very tired though. It's okay. We're also not gonna be able to put up an episode this weekend, so we thought let's do a little secret midweek episode to fill that gap and keep you guys with your with your daily dose of, of hobbits and, and and gungans and all the things you love to hear in your ear holes. Now um, I, I want to specify that the reason we aren't going to be able to record this weekend is because we're going to a wedding because we have friends. We, In fact, we have friends that are good enough friends that they invited us to their wedding. Booyah! When did the elves come in? <laughs> I need relevant content. You want some relevant content? Let's talk about what we're going to do this week. All right. Yeah, so we didn't have time to prepare anything. So what we're doing this week is something that is going to require no prep and could either turn out to be the greatest episode of all time or the just, worst. Just trash. I mean, like, it could literally be trash. There is a, there's, there's a greater than zero chance. Yeah, we are going back to something we used to do at the end of our podcast that we didn't kind of stop doing because we figured people weren't listening past our plugs. We're going to do what we call a random article roulette today. To explain the rules a little bit, we're going to be going on our respective wikis that we use it for our research. And we're going to hit the random article button and... Spin that wheel. Spin that wheel. Put a bolt in the chamber. See what happens. It is exactly like Russian roulette. And we're going to see if we can wring some comedy gold and informative information out of these randomly picked, chaos-driven means of article picking. So, so we'll we'll I think if nothing else, it's going to show like how exhaustive the cataloging is on these fandom wiki sites. Yep. So, Joanna, what what do you got loaded in the chamber? Okay, ready? So, first up, spin the wheel. <laughs> Letter 354. Okay, uh, is this what it sounds like? Like a, like a written missive? It is the 354th letter. Oh my god. In like an alphabet? Yeah, in an alphabet. No. In Elvish? Yeah, the Elvish alphabet has 354 letters. Oh my god. Letters. No, it is the 354th, and by the way, last letter written by J.R.R. Tolkien. It was oh. written in 1973, August 1973, and he also died in 1973. That sounds significant. Well, you would think. It's significant because it's the last letter that we have of his that he ever wrote, but the content is, is not what I would call significant. This is the fandom wiki's description. Tolkien tells Priscilla, 
This is his daughter. Yeah, okay. Tolkien tells Priscilla that he safely reached in Bournemouth securely, yet surprisingly he discovered he lost his bank card oh, no. when he came to the Miramar Hotel. Sure, no. While Dr. Martin Tolhurst, a companion of Tolkien's, was looking for his wallet, the Miramar crossed out his reservation and made him another one from September 4th to September 11th. He would stay with the Tolhursts until further notice and was anticipating the amplified occasion. He might want to visit Christopher Wiseman, who was in Milford at the time. Tolhurst discovered the wallet. Tolkien had abandoned it the Red Lion in Salisbury. Wow, I was riveted for that story. That is the last letter we have of his before he died. That was his last chance to leave his stamp upon the earth. And what did he talk about? He left his wallet at the pub. When did he mention the elves? He did not mention. No mention of elves. Can you believe it? Unbelievable. Just lost bank cards. He lost his bank card, guys. He's going to put that in the sequel to Lord of the Rings. What, like like Liz Greenleaf loses his bank yeah, card? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he was. Yep, that's I the, think this that's, was the rough draft. That's the, the fourth we all know rough drafts differ from the final draft significantly. This was the rough draft. Legolas was going to lose his wallet, re- obtain help from Dr. Martin Tolhurst. Well, you know, like, the fourth age is all about industrialization and the age of men. And what is, what is like, the most human experience but to lose your bank card and, like, In scramble times, to find it? maybe there isn't one. I think it's a pretty modern, like, current occurrence that you could bring a lot of, a lot of drama out of. Also possible? Uh, Legolas decides he might want to visit Christopher Wiseman. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that was going to be another part, another well, element. He's, he's a wise man. His name is Christopher. Oh, I think it was maybe Saruman's son. Christopher Tolkien Wiseman. Christopher Tolkien Wiseman. So it's yeah. like a, it's like an, an amalgam of Christopher Tolkien and, and just Saruman, and it's his son. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Wiseman. Christopher Wiseman. That's Saruman's surname. Oh, really? Little, little to anybody now. Wow. Yeah. His surname is, is Wiseman. Wiseman. All Wiseman. right. Wiseman and Wiseman. He and his son had like a family business. They had like a, uh, yeah, like a- Wiseman and Wiseman, wizards at law. <laughs> I like that. All right. Let's spin that wheel again. Ready? Now we're spinning the Wikipedia wheel. Oh, no. There was a bullet in the chamber. I got 10 numb. Ten numb? Okay, now you've seen Return of the Jedi, like, right? Like ten, like one through, like one numb, two numb, no, no, three numb, in, like one through now, ten. You know Ninnub, right? Oh my god, who could forget Ninnub? Ninnub, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. This is gonna definitely take us to a, a hard R rating. Yeah. His face looks like a vagina. Shh, I'm not gonna edit that out. This is ten numb. After Ninnub, <laughs> does his face does his face look like ten he vaginas? Is, he is a Celestin, just like our pal Ninnub, who I will do an episode about one of these days because I think he's funny as heck. Now, Tennub was a B-wing pilot and demolitions expert and former bounty hunter who served at the Battle of Endor as Blue Five. Okay, so like all Star Wars characters, he just has like way too much on his resume. Also, is he Tennub because Ninnub looks sort of like nine nine nub? Almost certainly. That's where the naming convention came from. Awesome. And I think Numb- Top notch work. I don't think they're related, but I think Numb must be kind of like the Smith of the Celestins or something. Like, it's It's kind of like the Numb- They're kind of like in Star Wars Antilles is kind of like that, right? Yeah, right. So, Tendub. He was a B-Wing pilot. We know about B-Wings. We know about B-Wings, yeah. Following the truce at Baccarat, Tendub helped combat forest fires on the forest moon of Endor. Oh my god, he was also a fireman? This is too much. Using his B-Wings reconfigured weapon systems to spray fire extinguishing fluid over the canopy. That's cool. He's a friend to Ewoks. A friend to Ewoks, a friend to the trees. Uh, Tolkien would have appreciated that. I think Tendub would have been Tolkien's favorite character. Yeah. He accompanied Luke Skywalker and various members of Rogue Squadron to Corellia, where he was separated from the group when he followed Imperial Storm Commandos on a stolen speeder bike. Why did he do that? I don't know. He's just a curious... Was he trying to, like, you know... Was he, like, the lawman trying to, like, bring him in? He's a curious little guy. I don't know. He's just a fireman, Ted Nub. Like, calm down. He was captured by General Weir, 
who took him to Trallis. The other rogue squadron members followed his signal, but arrived too late, as Ten was killed during interrogation. Oh no, he died! He died after doing a lot of heroic things, though. He helped blow up the second Death Star, he put out the fires of Endor. He's a good boy. Yeah, well, he was. Now, behind the scenes, he's easily mistaken for Ninub, uh, but his uniform is slightly different. He's got a different kind of easily helmet mistaken. on. mistaken. That's such a racist turn of phrase. I mean, probably it was, like, the same face, like, puppet. They just, like, put him in a different costume. Almost certainly. Did he actually appear in the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's in the B-Wing in the movie. Really? Yeah. And that wasn't Ninub? That, that was not Ninub, you know, he's Ninub because he's in the Millennium Falcon. He's, like, the co-pilot. He's, like, the he's like Lando's Chewie in that movie, right? Uh, but no, Tennub is in the movie. Uh, he appears like this. Basically, Ninub, but with, like, a white uniform on. Yeah, he doesn't look really any different from Ninub. I feel like his face yeah. is somewhat smoother. So I feel like maybe he had a better skincare routine than Ninub. Oh, maybe. Maybe. He maybe used some kind of, like, nice salve or, like, a uh, conditioner. Maybe, like, a exfoliating cream. Just rub it into those folds. Rub it in. Now, Celestins, as a rule, they, they live on, like, this planet that's mostly caverns like they can't go on the surface because it's really like toxic so they live in caves and stuff oh so God, I'm, this is so he's like got a pretty good skincare routine just by not being out in that sun all the time that's true caves are very damp right moisturized yeah buddy um this is getting so sexual his okay. name his name okay so he looks like that celustin and he lives in caverns this is getting way too sexy well We'll just have to wait and see what happens with Eleven Nub. I think Eleven Nub's going to be so sexy, it's just going to make us all die. I hope so. All right, what do you got for me next? All right, let's spin the wheel. <laughs> December 12th. That's a day. This article is called December 12th. It is about the dates, <laughs> December 12th. Did you know that in the real world, in December 12th, The Desolation of Smog was released in theaters in Hong Kong? No. There's, so there are two headings here. So there's in the real world and there's in Aya, i.e. like in Tolkien's cosmology. Sure. In the real world, December 12th is when The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog was released in theaters of Hong Kong. In Aya, nothing. Nothing happened oh. on December 12th. Nothing. I'm very, very glad that it has its own article. What a significant date. Let's spin the wheel again. It's Jedi Rocks. <laughs> Is that like um, I have two theories? So it's either like a like an like an off-brand pop rocks that you somehow have to like eat off of Jar Jar Binks' tongue, like that sucker, like right? that sucker, or it's like Live Aid, but okay. like all Jedi bands. Now you're you're kind of if you combine them, you get pretty much the right answer. Jedi Rocks is, is uh, guys performing in a concert while licking Jar Jar's tongue. It's a pretty similar experience when you watch it. So. This is the song that the band in Jabba's Palace sings in Return of the Jedi Special Edition. This is where Joe Yauza, previous favorite of this, sh- of this, uh, ah! made his first appearance. And that's the song he sings it's called Jedi Rocks. The song was called Jedi Rocks, not Jedi Rock. Like, okay, Crocodile Rock, right? Imagine yeah. how stupid it would be if it was called Crocodile Rocks. <laughs> I mean, be a bunch of like, yeah, yeah, it sounds weird, right? What, Jedi Rocks? Like, what's the So, BS? Jedi Rocks was a song performed by the Max Rebo Band. Uh, I will do an episode about them very soon, too. I'm getting all these great ideas for future episodes here. The song's lyrics, which were improvised on the spot by singer Cy Snoodles, were so saucy that they embarrassed the prudish Bib Fortuna and would likely have been officially banned by the Galactic Empire. There is something weirdly sultry about ah. Definitely, Portical Droid C three PO, who was also present during the musical number, was bewildered by Cy Snoodle's blatant misuse of several verbs. Oh, oh my! Those are double entendres. I can't handle these. Like the F word. Like Jedi rocks is just the F. It's word. all about hug. That's all it is. Yeah, that that famous F word, hug. So that's a classic jizz wailing song, Jedi rocks. Ugh. The lyrics are in here as well. I think I'll cover these when I cover Max Rebo's band, but um. 
just real quick, just so we get a taste of what it sounds like, in case you forgot. Pretend I played it here. Okay. That's Joe Yowza's part. Oh my word, I'm clutching my pearls. <laughs> I want you all to know that, that Ryan was, was singing this song and our cat literally came over to check if he was okay. Now, that was not a recording. That was that was actually, I don't know if you could tell, that was a acapella performance where I played both Size Noodles and Joe Yaza and the background singers uh, Ristal, Griata, and Lin Mee. It was so, uncanny. I never would have known. You are a master lyrics, of impression. But I'll, I'll save that for, this, for the Max Rebo episode. It does sound kind of like a dirty song, but I think that's also because the that like singer lady, first of all, is like topless, and second of all, like her lips are just coming off her face. They are. They're, like, they're coming for you. Yeah. They're coming to kiss something that is they should not be kissing. So I think there's a in trans- proper society. Uh, there's a translation here too. Kiss my butt. Kiss my butt. Kiss my butt. Oh my god. Jeez, Louise. No butt kissing, please. Holy cow. We're we're definitely gonna have to censor. I'm gonna have to every one of this song. That is a blatant misuse of several verbs. Sorry, kids. This is an explicit episode now. All right, spin that wheel, Joanna. Here we go. Wow. Okay. So the article that we've come across here is Gates of Morning. Okay. Not morning, as in like where. That's my impression of somebody who's mourning. Wah, wah. Someone just died. Wah. Ugh, ugh, I'm so bereaved. Wah, wah. No. Uh, the gates of mourning, as in like, oh, what a beautiful morning. Ooh, okay. They were once at the absolute east end of Arda and the place whence the sun arose. And their counterpart was the door of night at the far west of the world. This place was observed by the Numenorians during their sea voyages into the east of Arda. Okay. I wonder how this worked. Do you remember how I mentioned that... Earth was flat yeah, to begin with. Yeah, that was one of the funniest things about Arda. And then, like, at one point, it just went, like, whoop, and, like, curved all the way around and became yeah. a sphere. Yeah, So after it became a sphere, I wonder how the positions of the Gates of Morning and the Door of Night worked. Because there is no, like, absolute east or absolute west anymore. You just circle right on back around. That's how balls work. I wonder. But uh, anyway, here's how you say it in, like, some other languages. Okay. So Gates of Morning in Afrikaans. That sounds cool. Yeah, Gates of Morning in Corsican. Horte Diamatina. Shout out to all our Corsican listeners. G- Gates of Morning in Cornish. Yetis Ametin? With a question mark. Apparently it's always a question in Cornish. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, that's the Gates of Morning. I did not know this existed. Now, hold on. There's a link here that I want to click. I'll click on that link. So, see also Walls of Night. Ooh, so there's a, a gate of morning and a wall of night. That sounds like sounds kind of like what what a certain Cheeto in chief wants to build along the border. Build the walls of night. Who's gonna pay for it? 
elves. All this time we thought he was incredibly racist. He's actually just a huge Tolkien nerd. There you go. The walls of night are the extraordinary walls that surrounded Arda in ancient times beyond Achaia, the encircling sea. In the west and east of the world, Achaia was wide and the walls were a great distance from land. In the north and south, however, the encircling sea was much narrower. This was how Melkor returned into the world during the years of the lamps of the Valar coming secretly over the walls of night into the north of Arda and building there his fortress of Latumno beyond the knowledge of the Valar. So this is when it was flat still. This presumably was when it was still flat. Yep, because this is like the very beginning of the Silmarillion. Because that's like the beginning of days. That's something that the Flat Earthers believe too. They think that Antarctica is actually like an ice wall that's like unscalable, like in Game of Thrones or something. I'm sorry, is that true? Yeah, yeah, that's really what they think. Yeah. So like, if that's they go all the way around. It goes all the way around the flat disc that we live on. It's like ice wall, a giant ice wall, a huge ice wall. That's why if you sail that direction, you'll always hit ice. I mean, yes, until you circle all the way back around and come out of the ice. So it sounds like they need to read some Tolkien and understand that it's a fantasy concept. Wasn't it the Flat Earthers who also thought that, like, all mesas were giant tree stumps? It's proof. It's proof that the trees we have now are just small versions. I'm sorry, you thought mesas were a thing? Oh, no, no, no. No, they're ancient tree stumps. My good idiot, those are tree stumps. That's how big trees used to be. Educate yourself. Such a pointless thing it to say. It is so dumb. It's such a pointless thing to say. But anyway, yeah, that's the Walls of Night. Okay, cool. Yeah, what do you got? Let's roll the wheel. <laughs> Bang! Drom Goldie. Drom Goldie? Another uh, great Star Wars name. So, I don't know who this guy is, but his article is kind of interesting. Drom Goldie, a human male, was the Baron Administrator of the Kelrodo I Gelatin Mines. I'm sorry, they were mining gelatin? Like, I'm sorry, like... You went into a mine and you chipped away at your pickaxe and a bunch of jello Gel- fell out? There's jello mines. Um, here's the thing. Gelatin is made from like animal bones or animal marrow or something like that, which is why vegetarians can't eat it. Well, maybe they're- So you can't get that out of a mine unless well- you go into a mine and you use your pickaxe and like animals fall out and then you use your pickaxe on the animals to get their marrow out and then you use uh-huh. that. What if they're mining inside of a space slug and they're mining like the walls of his body and they get gelatin out? Is that what it says? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you just made that up. I just made it up. But more importantly, Drom Goldie is a big game hunter. And in 12 ABY, he went on a hunting expedition with a former stormtrooper in search of wampas on Hoth. Cool. And you know wampas, the big snow monster that kidnaps Luke and hangs him from his, from his cave and gets his arm cut off. Yeah, yeah. And Empire Strikes Back, right? However, things turned disastrous when wampas killed several members of the group and destroyed their starship. So he was stranded on Hoth with wampas chasing him. Goldie, his aide, and, and his assistants Nodon and Nonak were able to escape to Echo Base, which was like the old uh, rebel base that was abandoned. Uh-huh. Uh, it's still there. Uh, after four days of hiding in the base, Jedi Master Luke Skywalker arrived on Hoth. However, the wampas damaged Skywalker's ship and attacked again, chasing all of them into Echo Base. The wampas were then able to break into the base and kill most of the group, including Goldie. What a good ending. Yeah. What a good ending. They died cornered in a big frozen ice base. He's got a biography here. Um, There's a quote from him saying, I bagged 10 of those wampas myself when they attacked, though we couldn't go back and collect the pelts. The other monsters kept coming, and we had to retreat. That's like a lot of hubris for a guy who eventually will die cornered in a frozen base. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. So, like, apparently he was going there to get wampa pelts, and one of the wampas had his arm cut off. This is the one that... Luke actually cut the arm off of in Empire Strikes Back. Oh, of course. It has to be, right? Because everything has to be connected to Luke. Absolutely. Did um, did this character ever meet Luke or hang out with Luke or assist Luke? Well, Luke was the only one able to escape from Echo Base. Whoa! um, Whoa! Pretty pretty cool. 
pretty cool. Wait, was he in the same incident? Huh? Was was Luke also? This is like with- after Return of the Jedi. This is like twelve ABY. Oh so. my god! Okay, so people really need to stop going to Echo Base. Yeah. Rule number one of the Star Wars universe: Do not go to Echo Base. You yeah. will get cornered there, and unless For you are sure. Luke, you will die. He did die, so that's a valuable lesson. Don't go back to Hoth. Don't hunt wampas, because they'll hunt you. Why do you keep, like, giving me dead characters? Well, I just want you to, you know, to, like, remember what we've had. And, like, don't think of them as, like, don't remember their deaths. Remember what their lives were like. Remember his his stupid mission to Hoth, where he decided to hunt wampas, and, and all of his friends got killed. Remember that. Okay. Yeah. Remember him as he would want to be remembered. Now it says a that stupid idiot who got killed in an ice. He base. didn't just die like a, like a little punk. Uh, he he used all of his weapons until they ran out of power, and he was Goldie was willing to die, having accepted that he would not escape. Well, I mean, like he didn't really have any choice at that point. He died taunting the creatures. You can imagine him being like, you know, come and get me, you big, you big white throw rugs. Hey, hey, those jeans make you look so fat. Yeah, stupid jinkos. Those are so out of date, idiot. Cool shirt. Looks like a dish rag. That's what he said. Yeah. Oh, is that a silk dragon? Oh, I'm sorry. Is that a Goku shirt? I'm sorry. You think you're cool? You big verge. You know what that you says in kanji? Virgin? It says big watery water, idiot. So that's Drum Goldie. Yeah. Wow. What a cool guy. I know. We're getting these great. Humiliated really weeps. Ten nub, Drum Goldie, Jedi Rocks. Let's keep going. All right. Hey, guess what I got? What you got? Christopher Wise Man. Oh my God. You're yes. not, you gotta be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. I am 100% in earnest when I say that I got Christopher Wise Man. Well, tell me more about him. He is, <laughs> we know he's the son of Soromon. We know he is a, a lawyer in the wizard trade. So, so I read the first part of this sentence and, and not the last. And the first part is just, Christopher Luke Wiseman was the only friend of J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, no. <laughs> just drag him. <laughs> Dude only had one friend. No. Who survived the First World War? Oh, oof. Literally his only friend who did. Think about that. He, he had other did, friends. He had C.S. Lewis. Yeah, he had other friends. But he didn't have any friends from before the First World War that survived except for Christopher Wiseman. Oh, good. Okay. Get this. Tolkien's son, Christopher Tolkien, named after Wiseman. No kidding. In fact. So, all right. You know, we so there's a connection. Kind of on yeah. the right track. All right. That's all I have about Christopher Wiseman, Tolkien's only friend. Oh, poor jerk. Let's spin the wheel. <laughs> Poob! (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, I'm like so slap happy. You cannot just yell poob at me. Poob! I would argue that it's not polite to yell poob at anyone. Poob was a monster employed at Horville's Hut of Horrors. What the hell is Horville's Hut of Horrors? He only appeared for a short time while Horville was talking to Wicket Warwick and and Wicket's dream. Poob looked like a small green ball with long tube-like nose and hair along his spine. Okay. So Horville is a guy who looks like this. Oh my god, he's a cartoon. Oh, oh he's wow. From, he's from the Ewoks cartoon. He's from the Ewoks cartoon. Yep. Um, and, and so is Poob? Poob is not. Poob is a small green ball with like stuff sticking out of him. Wait, so what is Poob from? Where's Poob? No, mentioned? Poob is Poob is part of Horville's House of Horrors. He's like a he's like a ringmaster. But if Horville's from the cartoon, wouldn't Poob also be from the yeah, cartoon? Yeah, Poob's from the cartoon. Oh, okay. You told me he wasn't. I did. But he, but he is. I like how it says he's employed, though. So, like, at he's least... He's employed, so he's, he's, at least he's pulling a Horville's paycheck. Horville's paying the guy. Like, like, he probably has some bennies. He has, like, a 401k. Yeah. Why not, right? Yeah. 
And so it looks like uh, there's an episode where Wicket and his pals went to Horville's Hut of Horrors. And Sounds like a fun place to go. And Wicket went home and had nightmares about it. Well, I mean, like, it is called the Hut of Horrors, Wicket, so I'm not sure what you expected. Yeah, I mean, honestly. Did he have nightmares about poob specifically? Um, he didn't want to go watch the Tumble Bunny show with the Walklings. He wanted to go to the Horville's Hut of Horrors, because Wicket's, like, too cool for, oh, for the Tumble Bunny show. What's the Tumble Bunny show? Uh, Tumble Bunnies were three-eared rabbits. The Tumble Bunny trainer of Bright Tree, uh, Bright Tree Village on the Forest Moon of Endor trained some Tumble Bunnies to do tricks. Cool. So, like, here's a little small little bad picture. That's a Tumble Bunny. That's cute! Oh, they, like, jump through a little hoop. There's little yeah. flowers. But Wicket's like, no, that's too lame. I'm gonna go see Horville's Hut of Horrors. And he had nightmares. So that's a lesson to you as well. Don't go more than you chew. Don't go see Poob. We're learning a lot of good... You're gonna le- be scared by Poob. I mean, I, I wasn't sure if we'd get any, like, good stuff out of this. We're learning a lot of lessons from these articles, Like, you know? really good lessons. Yeah. All right, ready to spin? Spin it. Spin it to win it. <laughs> Bing! We've bitten off, like, a lot more than we can chew with this one. So this is an article called Movie vs. Book, Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, gosh. That's going to be a long article. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, hold on. Let me look through here and see if I can find some particularly interesting ones. Okay, so, like, like for example, uh, in the book, when Frodo gets stabbed by the Witch King with the Morgul Blade, he blacks out and he wakes up feeling weak, but is, like, pretty much capable of speaking and engaging with others as he normally would. Okay, yeah. And, like, makes jokes to try and, like, cheer him up, and then he gets weaker and weaker very gradually. Gradually, but in the movie, he basically, like, immediately is gangrous. He can't yeah. even talk. He's like... <laughs> like, there's even, like, green stuff coming out of his mouth, which I guess is it's pretty dramatic when you get stabbed. Um, so, yeah, he gets, like, deathly sick, pale, and delirious pretty quickly. So that's one example. Um, let's see. In the film, the council tells Boromir that we can't use the ring because it only answers to Sauron. In the book, they tell him, like... Yeah, you can use the ring, dude. That's fine. Like, if you want to get corrupt and become as evil as Sauron, like, that's fine. I mean, like, that's your choice. Me? No big deal. I mean, you'll just turn, like, super evil or whatever, but, like, who cares about that? Whatever. If you want to. You're just kind of passive-aggressive about it. Huh. I had actually forgotten about this, so, uh, when the Fellowship's at the gates of Moria in the movie, mm-hmm. Merry and Pippin throw rocks into the water and they get stopped by Aragorn. In the books... Boromir throws a rock and Frodo scolds him for it. Shame, shame, tsk, tsk, tsk. How embarrassing is that to get scolded by Frodo? By a little guy? By just this little man, just this small little guy. That is super embarrassing. Yeah, why are you throwing rocks at Boromir, you big idiot? Yeah. What the hell is wrong with you? I like this note at the end of this article. Naming all the unmistakably important passages present in the book, yet glaringly and obviously missing from the movie, would be time-consuming. Pushing my glasses up my nose. and yeah. Too time to do Not even worth my time. There's just too many. Taking a little puff from my pipe. Yeah. Insane. <laughs> cool. I mean, you still wrote like a hell long article and it just like, I just wasted a lot of my time reading it. So, you know, like, <laughs> thanks for not even carrying it out to its conclusion, you lazy ass. But anyway. Yeah, you love to see it. You love to see it. All right. Okay. Let's take another uh, spin. <laughs> Ding! Sawtooth Grank. Sawtooth Grank? Sawtoothed Grank. Okay, is that the name of a person, a, and a vegetable, or a mineral? It's a creature. It's a creature. It's called, a creature. Called a sawtooth Grank. Here's a picture of one. It looks really stupid. I don't think you ever see one in the movie, but... <laughs> wow! Okay, let me try to explain this. Okay, what's the sawtooth Grank look like for the listeners? Okay, so its body's basically a dog. It has a dinosaur tail, but, like, laughably short. It's short, yeah. It has, like, an extremely, sh- like, 
that tail would not do anything. It's like a little stub. And then it has like a longish neck with like a weird dragon head, but it doesn't match with the body at all. And what do you think about those little little things coming out of its nose? Okay, so it has like, okay, so there's two options here. So either it has like horns coming out of its nose or it just saw a sexy anime babe and sprung a nosebleed. Definitely. He definitely is like an anime boy. What do you think about these? Uh, I um, don't know why. It, it has fur, but only in like two places on either side of its belly. Yeah. It has like very long fur coming out of two, exactly two places on its belly and nowhere else. So the sawtooth grank were native to the Gungan swamps of Naboo. They're medium-sized predators with sharp teeth and powerful jaws. Their main prey were shiros. Gungans found the taste of granks very appealing and would fry them. Their toenails were used to create bongo engine parts. What? So, you remember the submarine? bongo? Remember the submarine they use in episode one to go through the planet core? And that's where there's like, with, uh, with, uh, Oh, secret and no power? When you said bigger, we said in trouble! Yes, that's, how could I forget? As bigger, if you would ever allow me. There's always a bigger fish, right? So apparently their toenails used to make the engines of submarines <laughs> that Gungans make. And their meat was a delicacy served in high-end restaurants. To hunt, they sense vibrations through their hair from both the air and the ground. So that's why that belly hair is there, to sense vibrations. That seems stupid. That seems very stupid. It, why Why would it use, like, it has it has eyes, it has a nose, it has, like, a, you know, it has it feeling in its feet. Like, why does it have to use these random hocks of hair hanging well, down? Well, when gungas are trying to hunt you down to take your toenails to turn you into a submarine, you gotta, like, have every advantage you can get. That doesn't sound like an advantage. That sounds like a stupid way. That sounds... Like a, like, stupid. Hey, man, I didn't make them. No, that's true, you didn't. Who did? They appeared in the Wildlife of Star Wars field guide. Oh. Yeah. Uh, let's see what they eat. Shiro's real quick. What's a Shiro? Shiro's are... Oh, it's like a little... It's, like a, it's a turtle slug. It's like a turtle slug armadillo guy. It's hard-shelled, benign, slow-moving reptiles native to the Gungan swamps of Naboo. Now, that is cute, but I, I feel like it has essentially the same silhouette, actually, Ooh. as the sawtooth grank. Now, I like this. Shiro's rolled in mud and collected dirt and seeds between their shell ridges. Tukey trap plants grew and flourished in these soil pockets, creating the symbiotic Shiro trap. Oh, it looks like a... It's like a Bulbasaur. It's like uh, got a little Venus flytrap on its back. Yeah, it is basically a Bulbasaur. Yeah, like a little slug face. So that's what that's what sawtooth cranks like to eat. So that's that's some that's a little bit of a uh, wildlife for you, a little bit of planet Naboo for you. Cool man. Roll that wheel. Andvir. 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 Andvir, the lost forgotten member of Krathver. Oh, Andvir. So Andvir, Andvir was the son of Androg. Oh, of course. I, I know I know him. Now, lest you think this is going to be a Butcher's a Rancor Dragon situation, there is more. Okay, okay. So, he was one of the only men to escape from Amunrud after the massacre of Turin's outlaws following Mim's betrayal. Oh, I remember that. As depicted in... Well, you remember the massacre of Turin's outlaws, but you probably don't remember Andvir. No, and I don't remember Andvir. The reason you don't remember Andvir is because he is not mentioned in either the Silmarillion or the Children of Hurin. Oh, so where'd he come from? <laughs> He's, he is mentioned in an, it's incredibly nonspecific, an introductory note, not in those published books. Tolkien made a note of him somewhere. Like, by the way, Andvir, son of Androg, was one of the only men to escape after the massacre of Turin's outlaws. Has to go and form the first he, inklings he, of new ways. He wrote it down in like a notebook or like on the back yeah. of a shopping list like once, and it had to, of course, be in this wiki. Amazing. Even though it's not neither the published books, so. I love it. Cool. Andvir. I love how he's in the story of the children of Hurin, except he's completely not, he's not in, in the in story it. of the children of Hurin at all. Andvir. 
All right, let's spin that wheel again. Okay. Ding. Ding dong. We got Feltapern Travag. Feltapern Travag? Feltapern Travag. Feltapern Travag. Cool. Um, it doesn't sound like it when we say it, but when we look at the name, it looks kind of like a Swedish person. But his face does not look like a Swedish person. It looks like something that's very ugly. I got barrels of loot fisk. It's very good. My name is Feltapern Travag. So tell me about this very, very unpleasant to look at man. Let's start with a little quote from him first. My name is Travag, Feltapern Travag, officer of the Empire. I work for the city prefect of Mos Eisley. It is my responsibility, no duty, to collect taxes and imposts from those who live and pass through this miserable space part. So I know that was supposed to be like Swedish, but I feel like you were very into like a poo from the Simpsons a couple times. Well, I'm only being racist toward uh, Scandinavian people, so don't worry about it. Okay, so we just want to put a note out there. Regardless of what that accent may have sounded like, the intended target of Ryan's racism was Scandinavian people, and only Scandinavian people. Those Aryan mother effers. So, Feltapurntravag was a male Godel tax collector in the most Isley district. Sorry, does Godel mean tax collector? Godel is his species. They're like these goat people. So wait, his species is tax collector? No, Godel is his Oh, those are two separate things. Godel is his species. He is a Godel, which is like this kind of goat person with these... The whole idea, they have these horns on their head that are hollow. And they have really good, like, um, sense awareness Oh, they, they keep all the taxes in there. That's where they keep the money, That's where they baby. they keep their taxes. And so he actually shows up in the cantina. And he would take on small petty criminals for either the Galactic Empire or for Jabba. He was also the lover of Miyum Onith, nicknamed Night Lily. And he would be killed by her as part of a mating ritual. Literally again. Okay, wait. Ooh, wait, 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 wait. No, uh, this, this is taking a turn. I this know. is so he didn't die trapped in an ice base or, you know, fighting forest fires or whatever. He died getting lucky. Getting lucky. We got a little quote from Wooher, you know, the bartender of Mos Oh, Wooher. Yeah, yeah, Wooher. I saw them together in the cantina, but I didn't think Travag was crazy enough to try to bed the girl. Oh, so Travag was the one who initiated it, so now I don't feel so bad for him? So anyway, so he had these extrasensory cones on his head, these horns, and he began sensing a strange vibration through them and started to think that capturing the source of the vibration would lead to riches, because of course that's what that means. Yeah, naturally. Anything Um, that vibrates has to be rich. Of course, of course. He followed it for two weeks, and he continued searching for this this strange signal, and that's when he met Mium Onith, who was a Hinimthi. I'm sorry, he was a what? Uh, she was a Hinimthi. Do you have a list? Hinimthi. Hen- they look like this. They have like, like, they're kind of like. They look like a plague doctor. They have a face like a plague doctor. Have you seen, if you've seen the movie Beetlejuice, it's like how uh, they, he pulls his face out. He pulls like, his face out. That's yeah. what he looks like. He looks like that. And the bald pulls also his face like out. A pla- yeah, well, who wouldn't want to bed that? Well. Gets me going Delta every Delta Pern saw this, this hot piece of nose and said i want to i want to bed that he instantly fell in love with her and desired to bed her the two felt deeply in love and they dined at the court of the fountain considered to be one of the classiest restaurants in most eisley oh i don't like this guy it says he contacted imperial soldiers and requested them to intercept obi-wan kenobi at docking bay 94 so like he was the one who called the stormtroopers on them like oh he was the narc well i thought it was that spy with the nose garandon but there's actually felt a printer bag Anyway, so after he completed his mission, he says, ah, I'm good. He and Onith, the Heminthi, rented a room in the Most Isley Inn, and they finally had relations with each other. But what Travag had never seen coming was the Heminthi mating ritual, which required Onith to eviscerate him with a razor-sharp tongue when it was over. Sorry, I have to. I'm required by my mating ritual. Yeah, so another tale of uh, of love, a uh, very happy ending for Feltapern Travag. 
Fail to burn. Fail to burn. Spin that wheel. Yeah. Fill it. Fill it. Okay, now this is truly bizarre. I have no idea why these... It sounds twisted. Such, what, it is pretty twisted. I have no idea why such things end up on the fandom wiki for Lord of the Rings. Philat is the screen name of somebody who is very big on the social art community, Deviant Art. Ask me if I care. Popular Deviant Art personality, Philat. Well, let's see their art. Are they any good? Her galleries have over 100,000 page views. I don't know. Let's find out. Let's take a look at her stuff. Oh. That's very nice, actually. Yeah. She has, like, these, like, nice. full-on paintings and, water, like, watercolors. That's that's really nice. I retract what I said. Philat absolutely should be on these So movies. you should look her up. Her, it's F-I-L-A-T. Search that up on DeviantArt. You can see some pretty cool Lord of the Rings-inspired art. And I don't know if this is her, but this looks like a pretty dope Lord of the Rings' like a, dress. It's, like, cool photo shoots and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man. Philat knows what's up. She's absolutely a worthy entry into this wiki. All right. Any Big week? ups to you, Philat. Yeah, man. I love that. That's great. All right. Sweet. Let's spin one more time. Dejeric. 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 So Dejeric was a popular game which withstood the test of time better than nearly any other game in the galaxy. This is the chessboard that Chewie and C-3PO play in A New Hope. No, that was definitely called something else. It's called Dejeric. I thought that was called, like, something that's not Dejeric. I want you to tell me what it was called. I want to say Hissifog. No, that was that was that was our own thing we made up. Oh wait, that's that was when we just made up a game that was go fish. Yeah, backwards. yeah, that was our own thing. I wanted to say crossfire. Crossfire. Yeah, yeah. You get caught up in the crossfire. No, Dejeric. It's the space hollow chess. So it's playing a hollow game table and that kind of black and white border. Uh, when active, the hollow monsters, which were full color, three dimensional hologram plane pieces measuring between five and 30 centimeters tall, will be projected on the board. And it created monsters such as the Mantellian Savrip, Grimtash, the Molator, Gick, Hojis, Nagok, Kinton Strider, Kalorslug, and the Monarch. He's- that really sounds like um, randomly generated fantasy game names. No, not at all. Like in an MMO or something like that. These pieces, when moved by the player, acted out the moves as, as if really specimens of their species. If they're not used for a certain amount of time or the game was abandoned by both players, they would simulate boredom. Just kind of like Sonic tapping his foot and like Sonic the Hedgehog. When you, oh, sure. When you're you not know? going fast enough. Um, I'm Sonic. I'm supposed to be going fast. What are you doing, idiot? A notable tactic was the fork, in which case a player moved one hollow monster to threaten at least two of the opponents so that no no matter what the opponent did, one piece would be lost. It was considered to be a mistake to, to leave oneself vulnerable to a fork. The word fork came to be used as a generic term for facing a choice between two disasters. Well, we are well and truly forked, for example. Okay, okay. That's kind of fun, right? Okay, that's kind of fun. That's kind yeah. of fun. Dejeric. Dejeric. Dejeric, Dejeric. Or as I prefer to call it, Crossfire. Crossfire! Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's do one more spin of this wheel. All right. <laughs> Oh, Ryan. Oh, Joanna. This is a very exciting one. Okay, tell me more. All right, so this article is called March 31st. March 31st. Could it get any worse? What happened this day in history? Can you guess? Uh, Can you guess? It was the last day of March. What year, though? No, it's just March 31st in general. Oh, it's just like a regular holiday. Okay. Just anything that happened on March 31st, any March 31st ever in history. Um, oh, man, I don't know. Guess Tell what? Me. Guess what? What happened? Nothing ever happened in March 31st. Are you kidding this me? This article has no content. Why? This article called March 31st and there are no events listed. Why? Why? 
What a great note to end this podcast on. I can end it you thought there was going to be content, and instead it was just nothing. Welcome to Wikis, everybody. <laughs> it's, it's, spin the wheel one more time. Oh, man. I don't know if I can top that. That's, uh... You don't think you can top the the pulse pounding excitement of March thirty first, the day when nothing has ever happened ever. I could, I can maybe. Okay, I got maybe got something. Okay, okay, Spin. all right. Parking orbit voucher. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll validate your parking orbit voucher. A parking orbit voucher and title a starship to park in orbit. This does have a quote that goes with it. Maybe you loan your ship, 99-year lease, we give a projector, free paint job, parking orbit voucher, plus head of Imperial Walker, good condition, you only use once. And this is a quote by King Ibari Bavi BDD. <laughs> what? Sorry, let me tell you. Of course it was. Ibari Bavi BDD. Yeah, I got that right. Of course it was. Of course it was. So, this was one Dane article on the face of the earth, and yet it has the most ridiculous oh name. Bavari Bavi Bavi So Ibari Bavi Bavi was- That once had a parking voucher. He was the squib king of score two. <laughs> what is that? He looks like this. He has so a- So cr- wait, so he- So he's a squib, so he was born from a magical family, but did not himself have magic. What he had instead of magic was parking vouchers. And he's got like a crown that has a fork nailed to it. Wow! I, I'm not going to read through this whole thing. It's kind of long. If there's one thing he loved, it was vouchers for parking. So he kept his throne on the squib mom ship. The mom? Not the mothership, but the, they couldn't even be bothered to say mother. It's just the mom ship. It's called the Thrifty. Thank God, everything about this guy is lame as hell. Apparently their planet was liberated by Mace Windu and Ibariba Bividi uh, gave him the title Big Time Hero of Beyond Squib Eliteness. <laughs> Fake? This, this is, is so fake. What is this from? This is the dumbest crap ever. After he gave him that title, Mace Windu was like, "Oh my god, I regret! I'm, I regret I'm immediately out. liberating you guys. You guys are so lame." And he's like, "Wait, before you go, let me validate your parking." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, an orbit voucher. He's from the Star Wars role playing game adventure Scavenger Hunt by Ben Freeman in 1989. But he's mentioned 13 years later. In attack, like some novelization of Attack of the Clones or something. Well, that's weird as hell. So you know that they read like a thirteen-year-old RPG campaign and before said, writing, and said, "This is this is a guy." Ibar Vividi, we got to put him in with Mace Windu, man. That'd be great, right? And something about parking. Yeah. <laughs> what a stupid note to end on. I think it's good. I feel like we both ended on like the stupidest possible note, and I'm satisfied with that. All right. So I think we learned a lot. I think we've grown as people, and I hope you did too. Uh, we do have one last thing to do before our podcast wraps up today, and that's our usual segment. The worst, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst name challenge. That's right. As I'm always. Like Jert, dude. Jert is killing it, dude. Like, it was pretty close. Jert is killing the game. Like... I thought for sure that Shaggy would, like, put a dent in him, but, like, it was pretty close. Though, to be fair, they were tied on Facebook. It was the Twitter vote that pushed it over the edge. So thank you for those Thank you, Twitter. Thank you for voting for my boy, Jert. Now, I got... Now, Jert's going to be risen to the rafters. Like, we know this. Now, I got a really good one that I think... I don't know about you, but there's, like, a certain group of people that are just, like, ruining every every business, including, like, the dark side of the force. Because I'm talking about Darth Millennial. Oh, God, effing snowflake Darth Millennials. Darth Millennial was a three-eyed mutant Sith Lord and Shadowhand heir to lineage of Darth Bane, who lived almost a thousand years before the Battle of Yavin. Darth Millennial always whining online about microaggressions and participation awards. Why don't you go eat some avocado toast, you three-eyed mutant? 
Ugh. Can't stand him. God, what a loser. So yeah. Darth Millennial. Darth Millennial. Darth Millennial is what <laughs> yeah, you have. That's I what I'm like, bringing to the table today. All right, you're bringing us a jerk versus Darth Millennial. Darth Millennial. So if you think Darth Millennial is killing the napkin industry or um, the housing industry. industry. The housing industry, the cottage cheese industry, industry. the Applebee's industry. Um, what, Let's see, what other, like, not objectively great industry? Probably the planetary parking voucher industry. Oh, no. Now, that's a heartbreaker. Yeah. Not the parking voucher industry. He's killing Prince it. Prince DDD is going to be totally <laughs> heartbroken. Ibariva DVD? Prince DDD. Prince DDD. It's before he became a king. Before he became a king and also before he became a penguin. Okay. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> all right. So, it's Darth Millennial and all of his avocado toast versus Lil Jert. Lil Jert. So what can- a jert word, jorts. I love that. Jordy Jert. Jort Jerts. Jort Jorts. Jort Jorts. Jort Jerts. Jort Jerts. I'm into it. All right. Cool. All right. So cast your vote now on Twitter or on Facebook. Just search What's Lightsabers Precious. Or you can find us online at www.whatslightsabersprecious.com. Yep. You can email us, whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. By the way, don't put like an apostrophe in either of those i know there's an apostrophe in our name objectively but like apostrophes don't go in emails and web addresses you goof what are you doing that's why we haven't gotten any emails everyone's putting a freaking apostrophe in the freaking email address the internet doesn't know what to do with that you think the internet's smart about apostrophes it's not what a bunch of freaking rubes what a bunch of maroons so yeah Hope you enjoyed our, our one-off here. Maybe we'll do more in the future. So we'll be back next week with a proper episode. But until then. Later, Hobwalks. Later, Ebits. Bye.